we get back on the plane and I look over to my buddy who I was traveling with and I say, yo, I think I just got into medical school. Hey guys, real quick, Dr. Dale here. All right, so I want you guys to do me a favor. Before you start this episode, please hit that pause button and click subscribe or click follow or click like, whatever it is. We work really hard to bring you guys this good information to uplift the entire community, and we really appreciate you guys supporting our efforts and our work. Love you guys. Enjoy the episode. What is up, fam? It's Dr. Dale, the author of How to Raise the Doctor, Wisdom from Parents Who Did It, the author of Pre-Med Mondays. Black Men and White Coats, and the Dr. Doc Children's Series. And of course, listen to the Black Men and White Coats podcast, a place where black male physicians and clinicians have the platform to share their stories with listeners like you. Today's episode is so on fire. It's so good. I'm not even joking. This might be one of my favorite ones that we've done ever, right? It's so good. Such a great story. Um, I'm going to tell you here in a second. Before I do that, let me remind my pre-medical students. Check out premedmondays.com, premedmondays.com. Every Monday night, you get to hop on a video chat with me or with somebody else who's part of my, my coaching group. And we will guide you in a, it's group session, accountability sessions, and we guide you, we give you coaching, and we make sure that you're on that right path for success in the medical field, right? Every Monday evening, you get to do that with, with somebody, somebody from my group, right? So premedmondays.com, everybody can afford it. We make it cheap, so there's no excuses, right? We know all you guys can't afford all the expensive coaching stuff out there, so we pretty much make this free for you. We just make you play, pay something so you show up, <laughs> okay? Um, diversemedicine.com. Right. If you're a pre-medical student looking for a mentor, if you're a doctor, somebody in healthcare who wants to mentor, if you're a pre-med student looking for a community, looking to connect with recruiters, all that stuff is there for you on diversemedicine.com for free. For free. You need to be on it. If you're not on it, you need to take advantage of it. All right. Diversemedicine.com, inviting all the doctors, healthcare professionals, pre-meds, everybody. Diversemedicine.com. Check it out. All right. Now, back to this. Back to the story. Man, who so I, you know, I, I listened to this guy's story and it's funny because I know how it ends, right? I know how it ends, but it still had me in suspense the whole time. This is Dr. Italo Brown. Dr. Italo Brown, MD, he's an emergency medicine doctor out in California. And man, he has gone through it. He has hustled. He has put in the work to get to where he's at now. You see, I titled this episode, I Got Rejected from Medical School 142 Times. Who, who has 142 rejections from med school? 142 rejections. But check out the letters after his name. Check out the letters after his name. M.D. He's a doctor. Phenomenal story. I'm telling you, this is easily one of my favorite Black Men and White Coast episodes that we've done to date because it's just so engaging and you feel for him. And it's almost like the, the old school movie Rudy where you're just rooting for him the whole time and you're going with him through his ups and his downs and you just feel it and you feel that overcomer story and you feel that passion, you feel that dedication and that desire that he never gave up. And that's what we need to hear, right? That's what I need my young black men to hear. That's what I need my young black woman to hear. That's what I need to hear anybody who feels marginalized to hear. Don't give up. Phenomenal episode. Check it out. My guy, Dr. Italo Brown. Really got 
gotta set you a goal. Hey, what's up, you guys? I'm Dr. Italo Brown, emergency physician at Stanford Hospital in Palo Alto, California. Now, today I, I'm just trying to give you some insight on what my experience has been like uh, as a black man coming through the ranks of medicine. I think that it's important to share very real stories and, and to not sugarcoat or hide uh, elements of the story just to preserve it. You know, this is a beautiful journey and we have to do everything that we can to share them in a very vulnerable way so that other brothers can feel empowered to do similar things. A lot of people who have listened to any of my content, whether it was on the web or in a face to face dialogue, they'll joke and say, oh, Tyler Brown, he's the, the failure doc. I'm like, no, man, it sounds like a weird thing to be known as is the guy who who always uh, shares openly his failures uh, instead of his successes. But to be transparent again, I think that normalizing these failures plays a significant role in getting other people to realize that they can do anything, literally anything that they put their mind to. So. I share my my flaws openly and those uh, failures liberally so that others uh, will feel empowered. So what are these failures? You know, let's I start off usually by saying I'm the doctor who never had a medical school interview. <laughs> I, I'm the guy who uh, made it through three rounds of medical school application rejections. So on the first round, it was 63. The second round was 66. The third round, it was, I want to say, 13. And then in the final round, it was only one school I applied to. Now, the way that we get there is not a uh, direct path, right? So there's a ton of other things that happen leading up to all of these rejections. But the key here is, I had such a desire to be a physician, uh, this kind of like insatiable thirst that made me keep coming back for more. And that eternal resolve, that drive, that hunger and that grit is what I think defines us, particularly in terms of the things that we wish to commit our lives to and the passions that we wish to pursue. So. I'll tell you a little bit more about what that was like for me. You know, the, the cool thing about being from Sacramento, California, is that the city is pretty much known for being this political battleground. And even back in the 70s, where the Black Panther Party would make their their movements, you would see them come to the state houses in Sacramento. So I really enjoy knowing that that's like a part of the legacy and the history of where I'm from. Now, my parents, both from Michigan, you know, my mom is from Detroit. My dad's from Saginaw. Kind of cool stories. But, you know, this is like the heart of Motown, the heart of a, a city that's known for uh, American production, steel, particularly uh, automotive industry stuff. Right. Well, out of those places, my parents came from. Right. And they both have their unique influence on me and particularly my determination and my resolve. My mom, she uh, she passed a couple years ago, but the best way to describe her influence on me was she was an educator. She was a high school teacher and 
her entire kind of like outlook was do your best. Make sure that you put your foot in anything that you're a part of and leave that imprint. My father, interesting enough, was a, a firefighter, Air Force fireman. And so you mix the, the two uh, specialties, right? So education, high school, English teacher with firefighter, man who runs in buildings while everybody else runs out. And then you get this young person who understands like the value of of learning and intelligence and leading with intellect, but at the same time, having a certain fearlessness and a, a an understanding a clear service commitment. So I think that basically capitulates what Italo means. Right. It's funny because they got my name out of a book of African names. Uh, I don't know exactly what language. Uh, I don't know exactly where the book originated from, but the name inside that book means valor, which is like bravery and courage. So I definitely feel like it was somewhat of a a namesake and something to grow into. The pathway to medicine wasn't always easy for me. And, you know, I had to to recognize that there is value in acknowledging your failures, particularly in leaning into them. And leaning in so far that those areas that that are unsightly, those areas that seem to be a little bit uglier to the naked eye. Only empower you. In high school, you know, I was like most guys, I was a, a strong performer in school. I didn't have uh, tremendous difficulty learning material, regurgitating material. I would get to exams and I just like crush them. It didn't matter to me to to really put in that dedicated or concerted effort because it came naturally. It was like, you know, it, it, it was as, almost as though, you know, I'd been in this educational system at my house with my mom and my dad for so long that classical studies were just not challenging to me. So I relied upon that natural talent and ability. I remember like there were days where I would go in, take an exam after studying maybe two, three hours that morning and then crush, just crush the exam, like obliterated. And it gave me a sense of confidence. And that was kind of a calling card for me was I knew I could walk into tests and I could just beast them and walk away and be fine. But somewhere around my freshman year at Morehouse College, all of that changed. You know, like you walk on the campus of Morehouse College, this prestigious uh, historically black college and university system, uh, particularly one that's known for producing some of the the most quintessential thought leaders of our time. You know, I didn't feel intimidated until that first exam. Like I remember studying my tail off. I remember at least doing what I thought was like dedicated, focused study. Me, my study partner, we would go hard for maybe like four hours. I'd stop. He'd keep going. <laughs> I mean, I, I would literally make fun of him and the other guys in the room for essentially having too much dedication 
to this this craft. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to go in there and wing it. And I'm sure that things are going to turn out the same way that they've been turning out for the majority of my life. So that day, all of us walked into the exam. Dr. McRae's uh, biology, honors biology. I'll never forget it. We walked into the exam with our heads extremely high. And then the first moment where he uh, told us, you know, pull out your pencils. He gave us a test and I looked at that first question and it was just like the earth came to a halt. I'm I'm talking like literal standstill. I did not understand the first page of questions and I watched as everybody else went through the questions and my unknowing, ill-prepared self was still stuck on those first questions as though I was reading, you know, ancient Arabic. I didn't understand it. And so. Three hours later, brutally working through this exam, literally felt like hitting one hurdle after another after another. And at the end, I just I turned in the paper and I was probably the last person to get out of that room. And everybody walked out with their heads low. I'm talking about we just knew that we had all just met our maker. It was doomsday in that classroom. So the test scores came out few days later. And naturally, there were high performers. There was an average. The average was somewhere around like, I don't know, 64, 65. And my grade was a 33, something low like that. I'll never forget the way I, I tried to respond. I thought that that was definitely beneath my performance level. And I was like, oh, I'll get them the next time. Very next test that we had midterm. Same environment. Same experience, same feeling of hitting multiple hurdles despite spending more time studying. And then finally, the score jumping from like a 33 to like a 39. And I just, you know, slowly started to unravel. I realized quickly that the things that I did in high school were just not effective at this level. You know, it's the same thing as when you watch an athlete and they, have natural blistering speed, and then they go out and they race some actually real fast people and realize that, yo, I got to train. I got to train seriously. So that was my introduction to basically like what failure meant and how failure, you know, would make me feel, particularly because in terms of trying to advance in the field of like healthcare or medicine, you're going to take tests forever and you have to figure out what is your best way to approach this exam, uh, because it's literally a battle between you and these words on a page or on a screen and your ability to recall all the things that you've uh, studied or read or even, you know, quickly laid eyes on and bring them to the forefront so that you can mount the best uh, offense. So, you know, this was was damaging to me. And it kind of fed into multiple areas of my life. You know, this this time period, I remember just feeling so overwhelmed with the way that classwork went. You know, I was doing a whole lot as far as managing my personal life, managing things in my family. I remember feeling uh, a sense of responsibility for things that were happening back home while also in school. And. You know, this just compiled and and one after another, I felt the weight of each class feeling like, you know, this 
thousand ton uh, burden on my shoulders as I tried to trudge through Morehouse College. Eventually, I lost my uh, academic scholarship. I remember that day, you know, literally getting a phone call from my mom saying, you know, Italo, uh, you need to tell me what's going on. I just got this mail and it says that your scholarship is rescinded. And I was like, what? Like. It felt as though the walls were crumbling around me, you know, literally watching the pier, the pillars demineralize. And at the time, I I just didn't know what the next step was going to be. I couldn't find a way out. So eventually now you're taking on student loans. Now you're trying to salvage whatever there is left to build a a, at least a a glimmer of hope towards this dream of being a physician. I think that uh, another major point where I felt the sharp edge of failure was uh, taking my first MCAT. Yes, my first, like, (laughs) because I took that thing multiple times. But that first one is was the rude awakening. It was almost as stark as seeing that 33 on the page after that honors bio exam. So at the time that I took it, you know, this is many moons ago. So we used to take the MCAT on paper. It was a long test. I mean, it's always been long, but this was like a full day's worth of testing. And I had done the course uh, with one of my friends. And I just remember seeing everybody kind of putting all this effort again. I'm putting in effort, but not the effort that is required. And it, it was partially because I just didn't understand like what type of commitment was necessary. But at any rate, on the test day, I mean, people are showing up. They got lunch pails. I didn't even have a lunch. I just showed up like straight up out of the bed, got in the car, drove to the exam site and was like, all right, let's get this thing over with. Now, test again, knock down, drag out fight literally feels like 12 rounds with the 1990s Mike Tyson. And I'm just eating haymakers. But, you know, I say, hey, sometimes I've had that feeling and done well on exams. We turn in the test, go home talk to my buddies. Everybody's kind of saying things like, oh, you know, man, dang, that one section kind of got me and this, that and the other. And I was just quiet. It was quiet. Um, and then I remember when the scores came in. You know, they were all talking about, oh, man, I, 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 I wish I had this score. I wish I got a little bit better, man. I did this or such and such smashed that thing. And hearing all of these people talk about their exam scores. And when I looked at mine, it basically was like, oh, so you got an 18. And <laughs> the sad part was I didn't even realize that 18 was a low score. I was like, 18 sounds close to 20, which means that I was probably near a good place. But that's because I just was so oblivious, so oblivious to uh, what it took to do well and to perform consistently well. So I, I, I tucked my tail between my legs and clearly uh, just went home and and thought long and hard about what I was trying to do. I realized that it just was not clicking. I was lucky enough after, again, not performing well to get all of my scruples together and graduate, but not before I failed a one credit uh, physiology lab. Now, imagine your entire family being in Atlanta, Georgia for graduation. 
and you find out three days before the actual graduation that you won't be walking. And you still got a credit to fulfill. Now, talk about tough conversations. When I broke this news to my family, of course, there was a sheer element of like disappointment. But everybody was still so supportive and were like, look, Tyler, you're going to rebound. It's OK. But I remember feeling like I had let everyone down. So, again, multiple failures all rooted in my inability to focus on an idea, to perform optimally, to regenerate my confidence. And then it left me at the bottom of the barrel in a place where I literally felt like I was in uh, the, the, the belly of a whale and just could not find my way out. Remember feeling uh, almost hopeless. Luckily, I had already applied to grad school and already had been accepted to grad school. So now my movement is to go to Boston. Uh, after I graduate in the summer, I go straight to Boston. I'm living in Boston, doing the same things, same type of, uh, you know, inconsistency in my classwork, even though I'm at the graduate level now, still trying to take this MCAT. So the second time that I took the MCAT, I thought I was going to do uh, tremendously better. You know, I mean, I studied for like a whole year, pushing myself, really trying to focus on the information. And I improved my score by about one point, literally from 18 to a 19. Now, imagine how devastating that can be to find out that despite everything that you've tried, uh, no, it's not going down. <laughs> but uh, the, the beauty in seeing these failures is realizing and acknowledging that you have room to grow and opportunities to actually seize that and, and use the same energy that uh, you feel when you you fail to propel you towards success. So uh, in that same saga, something happened that very next year, something that was so uh, pivotal in terms of changing my mentality and teaching me uh, what I was doing wrong. I had someone that cared, someone that cared and had no reason to care. They weren't like, you know, a family member or uh, a loved one, a relative, a friend uh, who who could hold me accountable. It was a professor. It was a dean of the school of public health, uh, assistant dean, rather. And she pulled me into an office and basically uh, asked me outright, what are you doing, Italo? Like, what are you doing? And that guilt trip <laughs> uh, was so compelling that uh, it made me really step back and analyze my movements and my behaviors. But not only did she uh, call me into question or call my actions into question. She stayed around for the fallout. She uh, she provided me with tutors. She helped me develop a study schedule. She did everything that was necessary of an educator to uh, essentially give a student a fighting chance. And so with a newly revamped study schedule, a new sleep pattern, it gave me a curfew, by the way. She gave me a time to go to sleep by. 
So bedtime plus study schedule, revamping my my learning habits, realizing that I was not a a, a person who can learn from reading material, but had to use visuals and movement and, and, and mnemonic devices and all of this other stuff to like lock in information. She helped me figure those things out. And then the very next uh, time I took that MCAT, my point score jumped by about 10 points. That is, I think, the first major step towards rebuilding my confidence. And it was at the right time. I mean, there was a point where I knew that I was going to have to convince people to just invest in me and take a risk, like a straight up sheer risk, because they were looking at my statistics and saying like, yo, the person that I see and what I see on paper don't seem to align. Like his GPA is 2.7 coming out of Morehouse College. That doesn't make sense because the person I talk to sounds like someone who has a 4.0 and is highly intellectually capable. I mean, it was a very uncomfortable time, you know, like wanting something so badly, but being uh, no closer to it than you were when you initially started was was one of the most difficult. depressing feelings. But what I learned very quickly was it all comes down to my ability to focus on a goal, to execute and to be ready for variable change. I really felt that that came along right around the time that I started to uh, work in the field of public health. I mean, All of a sudden, my initial drive for wanting to be a physician completely shifted because I started to see the way that health inequities and health disparities played out in real time. And as a a, a public health advocate and a public health mind at the time, I had almost like a, a, a backstage pass to all of these things. So it was very exciting to me and it helped me focus and hone the message that I was going to send particularly as a clinician, but more specifically and more emergently as a candidate. But it didn't quite go exactly as planned. You know, that was the funny part. And I set out, I had this grand idea to basically court every single medical school into wanting to invest in a forward thinking candidate, someone who was going to be able to uh, answer some of the the tougher problems around racial and ethnic uh, disparities and that was going to be the draw. However, when they looked at the paperwork, they were like, you know, you're still this candidate with, you know, a a very low graduating college GPA. Your science GPA isn't the hottest. Your grad work is phenomenal. But, you know, when we look at the, the broad stroke of things, things, it just doesn't add up. So how is that going to be a good return on investment? I can imagine the question that they were answering, asking themselves rather. And so my mind quickly shifted to like, how do I articulate that I'm a good investment? How do I make them believe that, you know, if they took a gamble on me, that it would pay off in the long run and that they wouldn't have to worry about whether or not they made a good decision. And so naturally I started thinking about all the things that I could improve And I just went on like overdrive. I remember reading a ton. Like I made a personal, uh, a personal rule that I wouldn't buy a pair of shoes without buying 
two books. And at the time, you know, I was a gainfully employed man who had a sneaker fetish. So I was buying books left and right. (laughs) But it helped keep me honest. You know, it helped me to learn how to use words, how to have a broader base of references and how to really craft narratives, which I think that later on in life became a subtle skill set that I developed without even knowing it. The, the, the part that really is the tearjerker, especially when I share with people this entire journey, it's uh, the moment I found out that I actually got into uh, medical school. So I'll kind of paint the picture for you. And no joke. It was a rainy day. We we're on this uh, plane and I'm going to go to one of my good friends, Joseph Anderful. We were going to his wedding, you know, Morehouse brother. And I, I had just, you know, I was a part of the wedding party. So I knew that I needed to be there. And the crazy part is this was a tough time. You know, I had just received my last few rejection letters almost sequentially. And they all were, were just like, you know, we're sorry, but we don't have uh, a spot for you in this class. All my waitlist offers dried up. My post back um, pursuits had come to an end uh, and, and I was basically back square one. And to to add insult to injury, I was informed that they would not be renewing my contract at my uh, my job where I was a research associate. So essentially, I was T minus 30 to 45 days from not having a job. And, you know, I get on this plane, my heart is heavy, but I'm, I'm hopeful because, you know, I'm getting ready to see somebody's union of love. And that's, that's always exciting to see. Right. So I'm on the plane and the plane, you know, it's circling the, the tarmac and they're not getting the, the authority or they were not given authorization to take off. And we are just like on the tarmac for an hour and come back to the gate. I'm like, well, this is odd. Rain is everywhere. I'm saying maybe it's just a weather issue. I get off the plane. I look at my phone because that's what most people do when they get a chance to get off the plane. And it was like, you have missed messages. And before I could actually check the message, we get back on the plane. So now I'm back on the plane. They start doing all the checks. We're on the plane. And then they it's like a pump fake. And we have to get back off the plane again. Now, the second time I get off the plane, one, I'm a little bit more irritated now because I mean, how many times can a man buckle himself in to a a jet? I don't know. So I was off the plane. I turned on my phone and I kid you not, within a matter of minutes from me actually powering the phone on, it rings. And it's like, okay, I look at the number and it's a, a 615 number. Now, I know the area code because I had family members who had lived in Nashville, plus I had stalked Meharry Medical College enough times via phone and via email to understand what 615 meant. I played it cool. I answered the phone. So I was like, hello. On the other line, Dean Williams. Uh, She's no longer alive, but her presence is felt, especially during this conversation. But Dean Williams essentially was like, can I speak to you, Tyler Brown? And I was like, this is he. And I just remember her saying in so many words, like, I'm Dean Williams from um, Harry Medical College. Hope your day is going well. Uh, I wanted to ask you a couple questions. You know, we saw your application. 
you know, unfortunately, we were unable to offer you a spot in the class. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. You know, I know you saw the application. <laughs> and, and she was like, uh, while we don't have a, a slot in our incoming freshman class, we do have a post baccalaureate program. And this post back program essentially has a couple requirements. Uh, you have to have a GPA that is above a certain threshold and you have to score well on the MCAT. Now, if there were a slot open and available to you, would you be interested in coming to Meharry Medical College as a post student? And when I tell you there wasn't a full breath or a blink in between when she finished her words and when I started mine, I mean, literally, it was like a run on sentence. She said, would you be interested in coming to Meharry to be a student? Yes, absolutely. And she was like, well, well, Italo, we're, we'll be glad to have you here now to give you a concept of the time frame. She told me that the first day of class was to start the following Monday. The day that she called was a Thursday. So this is Thursday. The wedding was going to be that Saturday. The first day of class was the next day after the Sunday. So Monday. Now, ask me if I care. I didn't. I, I had no interest in not being in that room. I was going to do everything in my power to be from the plane landing in Boston to the wedding. And the next stop was going to be Nashville if I had anything to do with it. So we get off the phone and she's like, congratulations. We'll see you in class. We get back on the plane and I look over to my buddy who I was traveling with and I say, yo, I think I just got into medical school. And just like that, everything changed. Everything instantly became worth it. All the struggle, all the failures, every single encountered obstacle just wiped clean because all it took was one yes. And I knew that that would be the moment I had started a new leaf and then I wouldn't turn back. I just keep running as fast as I could, as hard as I could in the direction towards my future. So I share that narrative with you guys. So you know that one, your journey is unique and you don't have to be afraid of failure. In fact, if you just lean into it and lean into your narratives, you'll find that there's intrinsic power in those things. So even a guy who has had multiple rounds of rejections as well as failures and not a single interview to medical school can become a physician. My name is Dr. Italo Brown, emergency physician and assistant professor in social emergency medicine at Stanford Hospital. And I'm a black man in a white coat. All right. Y'all can go ahead and say it. Dr. Dale, you said it was going to be fire. It was fire. <laughs> Dr. Dale, you said it was going to be fire. It was fire. Man, what a journey. What a story, man. Like I said, you said you got a feel for him. And so many great and amazing things along that journey. You know, I love how he, how he takes it way back to the beginning and talks about even, even from his name, you know, Valor and, and growing into that namesake, even, even that whole idea. Because what that really shows you is he had an understanding of, of a characteristic, a character trait, a quality, a value that he, he saw that he could be, and he saw he could be because it, it was his name. He saw he could be, and so he tried to live up to it, and he is living up to it, right? So, so even even from 
his birth the name he was given he saw something to live up to his parents molding him in a certain way right so parents i know parents listen to this podcast just think about how he talks about what his parents did for him how they shaped his his frame of mind to work hard and to be courageous and things of that sort right but the the kicker for me the things that i love the most about this episode i love a lot of stuff but the thing that i love the most about this episode probably two things um you know the first one is he talks about that assistant dean, the professor who looked out for him and was just blunt with him and just said, Tyler, what are you doing? Call him in the office and said, what are you doing, man? Like, what are you doing? Sometimes it's all you need to hear. Sometimes all you need to hear is a, what are you doing? And he heard that and boom, that clicked. It turned it on for him. It turned it on for him. He said he graduated with a 2.7 GPA, but he was, you talk to him, you would think he was a 4.0 student. He had it in him the whole time. It took somebody saying, what are you doing to make it click for him? And sometimes... And, you know, if you're somebody, if you're somebody's friend or somebody's accountability buddy and they're messing up, sometimes you just got to ask them, what are you doing? You got to call them out. You know, we can't sugarcoat. We can't hold hands too much and do all that stuff and make people think it's going to be okay if they're not doing what they need to do. So it would be okay. Right. I'm not going to tell you it's going to be okay if you're not putting in the work. Sometimes you got to call them out and say, what are you doing? And somebody did that for him. And now he's achieved his goal. He's achieved his dream. The second thing I love is when he got the call from, um, you know, Dean, Dean Williams at Meharry. My wife went to Meharry, so I'm familiar with Dean Williams. So I, I, I just know she's iconic there. She was iconic there, right? So when he, when he got that call from Dean Williams and, you know, he was excited, the whole airplane scene and all that stuff. But what I love is a mindset like, hey, I'm ready. I got three days. Boom, I'm ready. Don't worry about it. I am ready. I'll be there. That's that mindset. You always have to be ready. You know, you, you, you never know what could come at you. You never know when that acceptance might come. You never know when you're going to get your shot. You never know when you're going to get your opportunity. And when it comes, you got to take it. Right. When it comes, you got to take it. Man, just a phenomenal episode, man. Phenomenal story. I'm probably going to go back and, and play this one back, you know, here in a little bit, just because I, I, I felt felt it so much. And I think it's one that all the kids need to hear, man. And matter of fact, if you listen to this right now, I want you to post it on Facebook, post it on Twitter retweet, LinkedIn, wherever you're at, I want you to share this because somebody needs to hear this. Somebody needs to hear this episode, man. So please, I, I know I tell you all share the episodes, but if you're going to share one episode that we've done so far, share this one because this is a this is a true overcomer story. This is a don't quit story. This is a story that somebody needs to hear right now to get them the energy and the encouragement and the motivation so they can get up tomorrow and get back on that grind. Click share, man. Great story. All right, everybody. Man, thanks for listening to the podcast. Thanks for always supporting Black Men and White. Because oh, I didn't even tell you guys, man, so much in my mind right now. So I've been super busy. I've been in the ICU eight, 18 straight days taking care of, you know, these COVID patients who were so sick. So make sure you keep on praying for them, for the family, for the, the nation, for the world. I'm a praying man. So keep on praying for all that. You know, I, I believe that God, that God does, does um listen to our prayers. So, you know, prayers up for all that stuff. Okay. Um, so I've been super busy, 18 straight days doing all that stuff. So today's kind of the first day that I've had the chance to sit back and, and, and relax and, and kind of get back on my grind here. Um, so in the meantime, a lot of good stuff has been going on with the film. So you guys know we're making the film about black men and white coats and such. And we're just about done now. You know, we're just about done now. I got my team, um, production team just about finished, putting on the finishing touches, the bow ties and all that stuff or the bow <laughs> and all that stuff and the music and all this and all that. And, um, you know, we're, we're getting ready to see what it can do. All right. So I appreciate all those, all of you who supported us and who continue to support us and stay tuned. Make sure if you're not following us, make sure you go to the website, blackmenandwhitecoast.org and join the newsletter. So you stay up to date with all this stuff. I just want to let you guys know how much I appreciate you guys. Cause it's been a long journey making this man, a long journey making this. And, you know, we got some good stuff in there for y'all and I appreciate the support, man. 
excellent episode. Dr. Tyler Brown, I appreciate you. Everybody listening, I appreciate you guys. Subscribe, like, share, pre-med Mondays for the pre-meds, diversemedicine.com for pre-meds and everybody else. Love you guys.